This is a Federal News Network podcast. Leaders of the Space Force have already said they want to build the new organization as the U.S. military's first digital service. Now they're rolling out some details on what exactly that means. A new document explains four separate lines of effort that'll try to pull off a digital transformation from top to bottom. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has the details. The nation's sixth military service says the push to adopt a digital mindset from the outset comes from two main factors. The need to move quickly to keep U.S. technological advantages in space and the fact that it's by far the smallest military service and plans to stay that way. The digital construct starts with the way the Space Force imagines its headquarters organizations. Service leaders say they want to prevent themselves from building up cumbersome bureaucratic structures and processes and maybe even eliminate some of the ones they already have. Major General Kim Kreider is the service's chief technology and innovation officer. This is what we're really zeroing in on. How can we leverage data uh, and analysis tools uh, to streamline the process, streamline the processes by which we uh, make decisions? How can we use automation to ensure that our our processes can, can move faster, we can take out the manual steps in the processes, How can we use collaboration tools to bring people together in uh, collaborative virtual rooms so that they can coordinate on topics much more efficiently and effectively and work at multiple levels of the organization in one single setting, uh, really trying to address what issues they need to work through at their appropriate level. And there are different actions that might need to be taken at the unit level, tactical actions, at the field command level, operational level, actions and planning, or at the strategic level here from an overall policy and resource planning perspective to ensure that those readiness capabilities are are always kept uh, in place, regardless of what's happening in the environment. So by bringing people together, this is how we're breaking the bureaucracy. We're not waiting for a problem to happen. We're looking, we're being more proactive, and we're coordinating uh, much more effectively and much more efficiently. Meanwhile, at the operational level, the Space Force is building what it calls combat development teams, charged with bringing new digital tools to help solve problems more quickly. For instance, the service plans to equip them with digital twins of every new system the Space Force plans to deploy so they can be ready to use it on the day it's fielded. That idea is closely related to the digital engineering line of effort in this week's new vision document. The Air Force has already laid much of the groundwork for that process by incorporating digital threads into new systems like the ground-based strategic deterrent. Kreider says the Space Force will do the same with three of its own Pathfinder projects for satellite communication systems later this year, using a cloud-based digital engineering platform operated by the Space and Missile Systems Center in Los Angeles. This ecosystem will provide a comprehensive way for them to develop and design their requirements in a digital format and be able to collaborate with industry partners. The interesting thing that is going to happen this year, as this environment stands up, we will have a uh, unclassed level uh, capability and a classified secret level capability standing up this year as part of this Pathfinder uh, implementation. Uh, and these programs will be able to exchange virtualized models and data with industry partners. They'll be able to participate in virtual readiness reviews and te- test readiness reviews and design reviews with our industry partners. And that really gets us on the road to how to operate in a digital engineering um, manner, how to use models and data, authoritative models and data, as a mechanism for coordinating, collaborating, running through various uh, design options, and really optimizing 
the delivery of those capabilities before we actually build a physical artifact. And crucially, according to General John Raymond, the chief of the Space Force, those digital threads are meant to persist throughout a system's entire life cycle, not just the procurement and design phases. We've spent the last year building a, a largely a capability development process, and it begins with force design, moves to requirements, then moves to acquisition, and then testing. And so this digital thread is going to be important through that entire life cycle or that entire ecosystem. So it's more than just the acquisition side of it. It's the force design right up front. It's doing requirements in a different way that allows us to go fast. It's the digital engineering part of acquisition. And then take all, all that data and then be able to test uh, these capabilities and then do it again and, and move fast and iterate it's, it's more than one piece. It's a, a whole ecosystem that's driven by this, this digital threat. Another section of the new digital vision focuses on the workforce. The service says it's now funded spots at the Department of the Air Force's Digital University for all of its personnel. 30% of them have finished the coursework so far. We're also implementing artificial intelligence techniques to speed up our hiring processes. In particular, we're using natural language processing to review, sort, and prioritize thousands of applications in hours versus days to weeks that it would normally take. Becoming a digital service is everyone's responsibility. To fulfill that, our Space Force members, military and civilian, must possess the necessary digital aptitude to help lead the transformation to being an interconnected, innovative, digitally dominant force. Our digital workforce initiatives focus on providing service-wide access to robust current online digital content via the Digital University Learning Platform visibility and tracking of learning progress across competency areas, and the development of an organic cadre of skilled software developers, we call them super coders, to be part of an integrated software development product team to accelerate innovation. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style. You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances to sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, And the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment, chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented 
terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there've been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that's at the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call Equality of Opportunity Initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most. 
And that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision, uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. 
I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.